Got it. The Coen Brothers Movie Club, the longest running <laughs> Coen Brothers Movie Club podcast. Is it? That's great. I, I don't know. Sure, it is. Yeah. We've been going for a while. We have been going for a while. But <laughs> but largely due to um, yeah. whatever. It's like saying like uh, volcanic eruptions of a have been going for a while. It's yeah. Like, how how much of a gap can you have for something still to qualify as running? Right. Yeah. Today we're talking about burn after reading. Let's hear the um. Let's hear the trailer. Oh yeah. Share my screen. Share my sound. Share. There we go. Get a red band preview. Medola found like this CD just lying in a locker. On the floor there? Yeah. And it's these files, man. I'm uncomfortable with this. It was just lying there. You should put up a note in the ladies' locker room. Put up a note? Hello? Did anybody lose their secret CIA shit? I don't think so. This is some senior guy who screwed the pooch. This could put a big dent in my surgeries. Big time. I have gone just about as far as I can go with this body. Right. Osborne Cox, yes. I thought you might be worried about the security of your shit. I've been working on what you're engaged in is blackmail. I'm a mere good Samaritan. Give me the CD and us the money, dickwad. Where's the money? He didn't give it to me. Uh, who's Farrer? It's messy. He is screwing Mrs. Cox. Pull around the corner, we'll do it in the back. That's so cool. Back of the car, not the rear entry situation. That's just a taste. PC automatic. Uh, the Russians? Why would they go to the Russians? You can be a spy too, madam. <laughs> we don't really know what anyone is after. Report back to me when, uh, I don't know, when it makes sense. <laughs> We'll interface with the FBI on this dead body. No, no, God, no, the body. Man. All right, there it is. A trailer that spoils too much. I mean, I suppose you know, out of context, you don't really know that it's spoiling stuff. But what do you what do you think it spoils? Well, I mean, it you know it reveals. I mean, the dead body referred to there at the end is the body of John Malkovich's character, and I don't know. Yeah. I guess going to the Russians. I don't know. The the one of the things I find delightful about the movie is the way that the absurdity kind of ratchets up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, but the trailer lets you know the various steps of ratcheting that it's going to take. I, I, you know me, I hate, uh, if I know I want to see a movie, I don't want to watch the trailer. Like likes to go in fresh. Got to go in fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, burn, burn after reading 2008 movie. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, go for it. I, I, I was going to say that, um, 
it seems to me that I can't think of another Coen Brothers movie that is so clearly a satire of a particular genre. And I really feel that this is a satire of the kind of late 90s, early 2000s national security action movie <laughs> yeah like it's in like it's in direct response to um um born identity or something yes and also like uh enemy of the state remember that will smith movie because yep. the opening credits are even kind of similar because the opening credits are this zoom in on the <laughs> pentagon <laughs> right, <laughs> right. yeah uh, born, it, i mean it's very possible born identity was 2002 mm -hmm. um enemy of the state was 98 yeah. yeah 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 i don't know when they wrote the script like i think that the cones like they often i mean as far as i understand they have a lot of scripts that they've written and they kind of get to them when they get to them so it's i don't know part mm -hmm. of me wonders if it's possible that they originally wrote this in the late 90s when that type of action thriller movie was like really in vogue yeah <clears throat> I, I was reading some stuff online and they were saying that like um so uh, just to tie it into how much how well it did you know according to mm. box office mojo yeah 30, 37 million dollar budget mm -hmm. um worldwide gross uh 163 uh 0.7 million um that's a good bit of business as they say in the business yeah but weirdly here let me show you weirdly if i'm reading these numbers right it was 60 million domestic and 103 international this does not seem like it why would people internationally like this movie <laughs> this is yeah. or maybe because it makes fun of uh the u.s a lot um and also the brad pitt and George Clooney factor is not to be underestimated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget why I was tying this in, <clears throat> but uh, I always like to look at what was out at the same time. What mm. a. What? Dismal... Oh, wait, scroll down. What are, what even are these movies? Yeah. What, that's what I was going to say. What a dismal release here. So burn after eating came in at the top, just barely over at 6.4. So this, sorry, let me back up December 10th. 2000 no september 12th 2008 sorry i'm yeah. being stupid um burn after reading was at the top of the list 6.454 million mm -hmm. followed mm -hmm. very closely by this movie that i have no idea the family oh, that prays p-r-e-y-s 6.261 million I vaguely then, remember that as a as a movie title that exists, but I can't tell you anything about the movie. Yeah, or, or Righteous Kill came nope. in third, and fourth. All, all of these opened uh, the same weekend. The Women. I have no mm. idea. <laughs> mm. And then even fifth, which it wasn't the opening weekend, but The House Bunny. The House Bunny. So the only thing I the only thing that that I know about the house bunny is I think Anna Ferris is in it. Oh, Anna Ferris. And there's a little bit of a Anna Ferris assance going on right now as people's opinion of Chris Pratt has plummeted, people's regard of his ex-wife Anna Ferris has risen. Oh, in okay. Oh, okay. It, yeah, <laughs> so interesting. I, I, I've I've seen articles like you know sort of the kind of article that would be posted on, you know, 
I don't know, yeah. Jezebel.com or whatever, like Anna Ferris didn't, Anna Ferris was unjustly maligned or, you know, whatever. Mm. I, I mean, I think Anna Ferris is funny. I don't have anything against Anna Ferris, but she does kind of seem like she hasn't done anything in a while. Uh, the only thing I know her from, I think, is uh, Lost in Translation. Was that her? She played the ditzy kind of starlet that hmm. that Giovanni Ribisi was friends with, and Scarlett Johansson was. That's that could be sort that of could just be. over. Anna Ferris. Yeah. That. Yep. That was her. That was her. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was her. I don't know. We don't need to go any further. Um, interesting. Um, but yeah, the. Looking at the other movies, though, that came out around that same time, not that were released, but like Tropic oh, Thunder yeah. was still in the theaters. Dark Knight, the, oh, the summer, man, the Dark Knight and Tropic Thunder were the same summer. I forgot that. Yeah. Traitor, um, Pineapple Express. There, There is like, if Vicky we're looking. Christina Barcelona. <laughs> right. Never saw it. Clone Wars was the same summer. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, it, uh, oh God, I never Ooh. saw Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You never saw it? I, I will never watch that movie. You're a lucky man to have I, never yeah, seen it. Yeah, no, I heard such terrible things about it right away that I was just like, I'd never want to watch it and I'm never going to see it. Um, right, Hellboy 2? We got a barking dog in the background just because the man who's coming to rip out our deck might be showing up. So oh. there might be some dog sound. We got to do a side podcast about uh, the deck ripping out. I want to hear. More I know about we that. we paid the we paid the guy the initial installment of his money like back in October, and it has taken oh. him this long to get around. Oh no! But um, like, <clears throat> but I guess point back to your point about yes. it being like like a like a farce or, or a satire of of these things. Like we they're in the cultural consciousness even at the time. It's like these mm-hmm. self serious like. Dark Knight and mm-hmm. Traitor and like whatever Babylon AD sounds like it might be a spy thing. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, it sounds like it was of that of that thing. Um yeah. yeah. Uh look, I got some I don't I don't know where to go from from here, but I got some I got some some things written down. Okay. So Tilda Swinton is having an affair with George Clooney, cheating on John Malkovich's character. Yes. What I love about all of that is um, she gives the the super comical and, and kind of real true to life thing of... You just look at those two people. You look at Tilda Swinton's character and and George Clooney's character, and mm-hmm. she gives absolutely no reason for him to be attracted to her in any way. Yeah. Like she, ne- like even even when they show him like post coitus or whatever, she's not affectionate. She's not no. like. <laughs> and I feel I've had that. I've had that. Uh, looking at other couples, I'm just you know you just like. And and, and what is late in the happening movie, here? Late in the movie, when George Clooney finally kind of realizes it, he says something that I have sort of over the years imagined saying to somebody in a meeting or something, just going like, "You are a negative person." 
Like that's that's what he finally realizes that he's like, you are just a negative person. Oh, it's and- so, yeah. No, it's so funny. And, yeah. and the, the, you know, the, I, I, it's, it's funny how they, how they manipulate us because when we get to see him and Francis McDormand interacting, uh, they're cracking up at the same stupid jokes that that, that made up movie mm-hmm. in the uh, in the movie theater. Yep, it's just so it like these are despicable people pretty much all around. But I don't know. I felt good when they were together. When the two of them were together, it's like oh look, they're like laughing, yeah. having fun. Yeah, yeah. No, it it he, George Clooney is so good in this. I mean, he just really. I don't know. I think he just nails the part. Do you like him? I, I I mean, I'm sort of anti-ranking things lately, but if you were to put this role against the Oh Brother Where Art Thou role, which one do you like more? I like Oh Brother Where Art Thou more. Yeah, but, me too. But I feel like that movie, like his success in that role was like proof of concept for this role. Mm-hmm. at some level it was like it's like well if you can do that then you can definitely do this yeah which is a little less demanding i mean he doesn't he's not on screen quite as much the character's not quite so over the top and so on yeah and and, and he sort of plays i mean i i definitely not even sort of he definitely plays a goofball in uh hail caesar but i've only seen that movie one time i think me too yeah it me too. was one I'm of looking yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to that on our 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 uh, our uh, little podcast here because that's going to be fun to revisit. Mark Marin loves that movie. Every I know time he was he just talking just... about it. He he brings it up all the time. Yeah, just loves it. <laughs> Ugh. Um. Yeah. So, oh, and the other thing that I was thinking about, um, as far as Tilda Swinton and George Clooney go. Michael Clayton is the alternate universe version of this movie. <laughs> that's a good shout right there. Yes. That's, because... Man, that's a good observation. I've been wanting to rewatch Michael Clayton. I haven't seen it in years, but I've been really meaning to watch it. Another one that Mark Maron mentioned when he was interviewing George Clooney on right. that podcast the other day. Um, it's so good. It is that movie. It, it's like um, the self-serious version of this movie because it's all about like espionage and and, and Michael Clayton has one of the most affecting scenes um I've ever seen like do you know, remember the part where the two men break into Tom Wilkinson's house and then murder him yep that is one of the most affecting assassinations murders I've ever seen filmed because they do it in this like very matter of fact kind of way mm-hmm. like and I, and it sort of has verisimilitude to me. It's like, obviously, I don't know. I've never actually seen, you know, hitman murder somebody. But uh, it strikes me that that's probably how it would go if the, if a true professional was doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and that in Michael Clayton, too, it, they the book, the like intellectual property, the fantasy book that they create for that movie. Do you remember that? Mm. The, like the little kid is always talking about this book series. Um, yes. Um, I'm either I'm slowing down or you slowing down. Um, it makes me want to read that series. Um, 
Let me close some tabs here. Yeah. Because I think I'm locking up a little bit. Yeah, what am I doing? Some tabs too. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? You're fine on my end. I haven't noticed any disruptions. Oh, okay. Okay. Let me close. Let me keep closing tabs. We're a professional operation here. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, Daniel Eck, who owns um, Spotify and also owns Anchor, which is what we use for our podcast. Um, yep. I hope he's listening to this because he's a trash human being. And, oh. Um, yeah. So yep. he, he donated 100 million plus pounds or dollars or something to this AI defense fund. So it's like, hey, look, listen to your silly podcasts and silly music and stuff. By the way, I'm using it all for AI military defense oh, contracts. Um, so I get to deal with that moral complication. Um, anyways, so Daniel Eck, you can uh, just whatever. I hope you listen to it and... Um, yeah, I'm sure he's listening to us. Yep. I heard he's a big Coen Brothers fan. Um, yep. So just uh, my my uh, my all over the place notes here that I have. Um, is that Francis McDormand at the very beginning or is that a body double? When, when she's at the plastic surgeons and he's like, mm. he's like, grabbing things and you see close-ups of her body and stuff yeah well i think francis mcdormand has a track record of not being particularly bashful about her body being displayed openly yeah. i'm thinking for example of uh the most recent movie she won an oscar for what's it called nomadland yes mm-hmm. thinking of nomadland mm-hmm. um so i think it's plausible that yeah. it's her yeah I, d- I did no research on that just yeah just a question um and they, man, the Coens just have this way of like distilling somebody's motivation down. It's like, I, I don't know, plot. I When I think about plot, often it seems like contrived or something, like why mm-hmm. somebody's doing something. But the way, like just that whole plastic surgery thing and like her motivation to get this thing, this unattainable thing that she wants, it's right. just it's just so obvious, you know, and like yep. believable. Same thing with um, John Malkovich's character, like mm-hmm. just this washed up guy. And he just really want he thinks more of himself than he actually is and wants to write his memoir. His um, memoir. Yeah. Memoir. It's oh a higher God. form of patriotism. <laughs> <laughs> the- Oh man! I it's have a, a drinking problem. I love that. Part. He's <laughs> so good in that scene. And I he can't... goes, "This is a crucifixion." And he oh yeah, crucifixion yeah, back. yeah. And he does like a the the weirdest. Almost, oh yeah. man! It's not a. Oh my god! Yeah, it's not a. It's not a movie I quote very much, but. Mm-hmm. And and it's a movie that's that snuck up on me when we watched it. You and I watched it a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, it sneaks up on me because I don't think of it as one of their funniest movies, but it's really funny. I know it is, <laughs> and I yeah. When we when we rewatched it together a few weeks back, 
um, I liked it better. I enjoyed it more than I thought it was going to. I, yeah. I, I, I sort of expected that it wouldn't really hold up, but it actually did very well. Uh, <clears throat> some of the articles I read, they were saying that like they thought, I mean, it did well, obviously it did like 160 and the budget was 33, but not quite as much as some of their other movies. And mm. the, I forget where it was, uh, Atlantic or something, but they were saying that if that movie came out during the Trump era, it possibly would have done way better because mm. at the time it was all like, um, you know, we're transitioning. It was 2008. We're transitioning into the Barack Obama era and people are sort of, optimistic and mm -hmm. um this this movie though is like perfect for the for the bumbling trump era though right although on the other hand counterpoint mm. Mm. it it i could also in a way see how trump supporters would like it because the the people who are bumbling and incompetent are the so-called deep state <laughs> the, the non-political right. appointees which <laughs> right you know who are the ones that they think are, are terrible? Like, if you can just get all the non-political appointees out of the government, then then we'll finally have MAGA. So <laughs> that's yeah. true. Are we gonna see? Are we gonna see Q supporters uh, get get into a burn after reading Renaissance? They're gonna yeah. they're gonna embrace it as a. They're gonna leave. Yep, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna let's let's go down to Dealey Plaza in, in Dallas where a bunch of them are still camped out. Have a <laughs> showing still, of burnout. They're not still camped out there, are they? I think some of them are still down there. Oh my god. Oh my god. Wow. That's um that's a lot. Yep. Um in, in some ways, there's also a bit of a a spiritual connection. Listen to me sounding like a fancy film critic person, but there's a, like, like a bit of a spiritual connection to uh, no country for old men, because both of them are movies where acts of violence happen. And the ultimate explanation at the end of the day for why is just kind of like, I don't fucking know, just cause you know, people oh. do some weird shit sometimes. Yeah. There's a bit of like a, there's like a, there's a bit of a randomness, and uh, meaninglessness to events. Oh yeah, they sort yeah. of have the same core philosophy. In other words, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's true for a lot of their stuff. Because I mean, <clears throat> yeah, you could say the same thing for for the death of the mom in Fargo. Like, I mean, I, maybe not. Maybe I'm stretching it, but they kill it right. Like, uh, the guy killed her just because she was making noise. Right. Ugh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The it, what what I what I noticed too about this movie was how they. I mean, this is true for all of their movies, but it it jumped out at me how they use like basically one of the formulas that they use is like it's like a horror movie setup for a non horror movie punchline. Mm -hmm. So it's like the ominous, like slow, like pan, uh, pan in or, or zoom in, um, and of like George Clooney getting the boxes and like the packing peanuts and stuff out. And they, they do this, watch a, somebody do a thing. We will explain it to you later thing. They do that mm -hmm. all, all the time. And I realize yes. that, uh, when other movies and other directors do that, it's what I love. 
just mm-hmm. like what I don't know what they're doing, and then and then I get the payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know the big the biggest example of that is is the dildo chair that he's yeah. building. Right. <laughs> yep. I, oh oh man, when I saw that, I I'm pretty sure I saw this movie in the theater. When I saw that, I I like I lost it. It was. I was unprepared. When you saw it, do you remember the first time you saw it? I, I didn't see it coming. I do remember. I saw it in the theater, and I definitely didn't see the dildo chair coming. I, the, I may have laughed equally as much at, at that. It's it's the same sort of laugh that got me when in um, Inglorious Bastards. It, or, you remember that movie yep. pretty well? Yep. Uh, when Christoph Waltz pulls out the gigantic pipe in mm. that very tense scene. Mm-hmm. I was the sole person that like cackled. <laughs> it's like, oh, do you mind if I smoke? And he, pull, he pulls out. It, it was so funny. Yeah. And I crickets in the movie theater. And I was the one person just bursting out laughing. Yeah. Um, other other fun facts about this. Not a Roger Deakins movie. No. No. No, that's true. Yeah. Um Emmanuel Lubus Lubziki. Lubziki? Oh yeah. Yeah. He won uh Oscar. So he won Oscar for Gravity. Yeah, he's a yeah, he's a Mexican cinematographer that that also did Roma um and and a lot of other good stuff he works with alfonso Cuarón and uh terrence malick a lot apparently yep yep yeah um yeah he's, and, he's great yeah which is interesting i mean obviously the movie looks good but it doesn't really it's not a movie where the cinematography itself feels like the point Mm-mm. the no. way that it often does in in other emmanuel lubezki movies oh yeah yeah, I can see that. It, I mean, if you just think about the shots in this versus the shots in No Country, like it, it's like night and day. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, this Atlantic article that I was reading called it "No Country for Middle-Aged Men and Women." Ah. This movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, no one has kids. No kids. True. It's true. In, in these. All of these uh, middle-aged folks, because mm-hmm. uh, this person was making the point that, like, if they had kids, they wouldn't have time for all this stuff. Yeah, like, it's yeah. also one thing that really stood out to me is um, the prominence of the iPod Nano, which, <laughs> right. which Chad has. I don't know. It just struck me as a very particular what? prop. No, yeah, and uh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean. This movie was made in 2008. It's uh 2021. How how many years ago is that? 13? 13 years ago. Yeah. Um CDs. I mean the the main the the like MacGuffin of the movie is the CD with all of the info on it. Right. And it's in that it's in that exact same like green cheap green plastic case that we used to always put our burn CDs in. You know, you go to Office Max and you can get a stack of those cases for like a yeah. dollar fifty. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of great uh, early mid to early two thousands or mid two thousands sort of material culture in the uh, in the movie. 
Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it feels very mid two thousands, which it's hard for. It's becoming easier for me to to define what that looks like. Like, I, yeah. like I used to be like it's it's all just kind of swarming together, but now I feel like I feel like now maybe post Trump, it's easier to look back and be like, oh yeah, simpler times in the in the mid two thousands. Yeah, I to um I. This is a little bit strange, but uh, yesterday morning, I had to give a, a final exam at eight in the morning. And so I put on before, you know, before the exam began and the students were kind of sitting around in the room, I put on on YouTube uh, a video of um, Kelly Clarkson performing since you've been gone back in 2006. <laughs> And it's a great, it's a great performance. Oh, you're, re- you're really, uh, as really the kids say, the, standing really for, for. Kelly I am Clarkson. standing these sort of female pop divas, uh, but like it's a really good performance. But one of the other things about it is it's one of those performances where the pop star starts out in the crowd, surrounded by the people, and then goes up onto the stage and then goes back into the crowd. Mm. But like she's surrounded by people filming her with flip phones. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and I, the, the, I said to I said to my students, I pulled out my phone. I was like, "Now, the camera on this is good, but this microphone does not stand a chance against the speakers in like a concert venue. I can't even imagine what a flip phone would be like. Like, who's gonna? Are you? You're never gonna watch that. You're no. not gonna watch it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a bit of a tangent, but for me, the man churches. That that band similar, different <laughs> style of pop diva, but oh my god, yeah, Lauren Mayberry from Churches, yep, so good, yep, yeah, so good. Uh, iPod Nano first gen was two thousand five. Yeah, I feel like fifth, it might be second gen. Fifth gen was fourth gen was September 9th, two thousand eight. Hmm. So it probably would have been the gen before that because they wouldn't have been able to have it for filming if it was unless yeah. unless unless steve unless steve jobs was like we want you to have the latest stuff right yeah this looks like what what brad pitt has kind of the yep. uh yep uh looks it looks like a fat um uh stick of gum yep. kind of yeah. yep oh, man, man there were so many different ipods yeah so many and this is just this Wikipedia page we're looking at is just the iPod Nano page. Wow. Yeah. I uh, had an iPod Nano. I had that one right there, the 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 fourth gen. I had the fourth gen one that could play video. Yeah. Which is something I never did. I definitely never watched video on it, but it could if I had wanted it to. Yeah. Yeah. What <clears throat> um oh, and is Brad Pitt the best part of this movie? Because he's very, this is, I, I wrote down this question to myself. Is this the funniest Brad Pitt has ever been? Good he's question. so funny. The, Let me pull up his little filmography here. And the, he's very funny in this. On Letterboxd, the, like, you know, it was like flipping through the reviews before we were looking at this. Everybody is just like in their reviews for the movie is just quoting the line Osborne Cox. Are you aware of the status of your shit? <laughs> shit. <laughs> and he's got that line. I stepped line. on your line. I stepped on your line. No, it's all right. He's got that line, which is really funny. I 
the delivery of when when like um uh uh John Malkovich is is saying oh blah blah you and your Schwinn when they're in the car and then Brad Pitt quickly goes oh, you think that's a Schwinn uh I can't even do it how he can it makes me laugh every single time well, he, he's like he's the kind of guy he's the kind of guy who is so into the world of whatever he's into <laughs> right. that he can't conceive of people not being as knowledgeable about those things as he is right right yeah i mean that's very it's, annoying it's a very annoying thing whenever you encounter it but it makes sense i mean the the beauty of this is it it totally makes sense for his character because he is the type of gym guy who is like into working out he's into doing all of this stuff and is so terrible about like they show him being bad at his job he just happens to be good at working out mm-hmm. um it's it's so good it's so good uh oh the uh, just bouncing back really quickly to george clooney's character how he keeps saying i gotta get a run in yep it, you know i started running recently yep I am pretty sure the genesis of that was just us watching that movie. Yeah, could be. Because I was thinking about it, and and I was just like, man, he was older than me in that movie. I should really start running again. (laughs) And so I started running again. I haven't gone for a run in a long time. Yeah, I'm trying to, I need to, we're in the middle of a huge snowstorm today. Mm -hmm. But that might be a good time to run when it's fresh snow. Um, Every step you take is extra work. Yeah. Maximize um, your efficiency. So let's look at Brad. Maybe we can go down the Brad Pitt hole for a second. That sounds weird. But um, mm-hmm. filmography. Man, he's he's in. Brad Pitt has been in things that I forgot he's in. Yeah. Like, I forgot he was in the big short and so on. Man. Where is uh No. Where was it? Up at the top. Filmography. Not a word. How old is he now? Fifty-five. He was forty-four when this movie was made. Wow. So no, he's closer to sixty, right? Dang. Um. Let's see. I should donate to Wikipedia one of these days. Yeah. So. Seven, gotta... 12 Monkeys, 95, Snatch, 2000. He was funny in, he was funny in Snatch. Yeah, he was. Um, He was funny in Fight Club, but not in this way. Right. Um, I don't remember him in Spy Game. He's too, he's not goofy in Ocean's Eleven. I do um, remember Spy Game. I remember I went to see Spy Game in the theater with my dad, I think. Because it's a, it was like a, that was one of those late 90s early 2000s national security thriller action movies 2001 is when it came out so it's very possible they saw him in spy game and were like wouldn't it be funny to just keep and i remember hearing brad pitt talk about burn after reading and he said um the coen brothers approached him this is the way i'm remembering it anyway they approached him with the script and they said we think you'd be good for this part and he's like, oh, well, it's not, 
he he was sort of waffling a little bit, and he's like, "Well, who else are you, are you guys considering?" And they go, "Oh, um, we wrote it for you." And he and he was like, "Oh, this is how they see me. This is what the Cone Brothers think of me," <laughs> which is really funny. Um, Brad Pitt was in The Departed. Why don't I remember him being in The Departed? Oh no, that says he was a producer on. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. He was a producer on it. Yeah. Um. Here, the dog, Mighty Heart, Ocean's Thirteen. That's a good movie. How far do we have to go back before he he's in? Devil's Own, Sleepers, Twelve Monkeys. This is. I would say. I'm not seeing any just comedies like this is a in in true in true romance his character is comedic like he's the stoner that's kind of there mostly as comic relief right um selman louise his character's kind of comic but a little bit i mean he's funny and and like unhinged in 12 monkeys but it but it's more of a mm-hmm. maniacal kind of a thing Am I breaking yeah. up real bad? No, no, not on my end. Okay. So yeah, I mean, up until this point, I would think, I would think that's the, this was the funniest thing that he had done. Definitely. Um. The other was he in Men Who Stare at Goats? I don't think so. Doesn't I don't see like, it listed. No. Seems like he kind of would have been, but I guess he wasn't. Yeah. The number he's definitely appearing in movies less frequently now. Mm-hmm. But you know that's, you know, all well and good because he can. He can be choosy. Man, he, in. I I I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That movie is just like, it's just like warm comfort food for me. I know it's it's probably like the dudiest of dude movies but holy crap that movie's good and he's great in it he's just amazing i think mm-hmm. i don't know what do you think i i am a, one of the people that does not like that movie really <laughs> I, I i thought it was i thought it was fine i just i feel like it has a kind of i can't get over the feeling that it has kind of a very toxic nostalgia for a time when certain kinds of male egos ran the roost and they're like, I feel like it has this really strange anti-hippie, anti-women mm-hmm. kind of. Oh, anti-women. Ethos. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I mean, the guy murdered his wife because she was annoying. And we're no, to- <laughs> no, he didn't. I mean, it, it, you can think that, but they leave it an open question. Yeah. But I guess they do leave it an open question, but. They never answer it. They never That's answer true. it. They and, don't answer it. I mean, and, to, to the movie's credit, they don't answer it. Because Quentin, I, I listened to this interview with Quentin Tarantino about it, and he said he wants, he left it completely ambiguous because what he wanted people to do was think about the movie in both in both cases. He wanted he wanted people to 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 okay start the movie from the beginning and think think about it if this guy did kill his wife. And then what feeling does that give you through the whole movie? And then watch it again and be like, oh, no, he's like, he's fine. Um, okay, I mean, I see that. 
I don't think the movie's I don't think the movie's bad and I don't think people are wrong for liking it or anything like that. It just didn't really work on me in that way. Like it didn't it didn't deliver to me the that that feeling of like a nice hangout that you like. Oh man, um, it it yeah. is I mean, I get it. I'm not like I'm I'm not unaware of it and I'm it's not like I'm embracing the the that side of of it that you're talking about because I realize like it's problematic in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um but just the two, just hanging out with Leo and Brad Pitt like that, it's just so, it's just like, they're just good buddies too. It's the most like pure friendship movie that, um, that uh, Quentin Tarantino has made. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no like, there's no animosity between them. I, you're even waiting for it at the end of the movie when like uh leo's getting washed up or or like coming back and he's successful and he's got to like say goodbye to to his buddy i was waiting for it to turn like bitter or sour and it's not he's just like yeah yeah i'm good no i see that yeah it's fun i see that okay well but anyway that we're that uh that's a that's a tangent there um where where does it what what tier of um, T I E R of yep. Coen Brothers does this sit for you? Where is it? Honestly, to me, it sits. It, I think it sits in the second tier. Yeah, I think it's a second tier Coen Brothers movie, which is still very good, right? Like second oh, yeah. tier, not too not too damn bad. Uh, previous to us. Uh, rewatching it a few weeks back, I would have put it in the last tier, and then when I rewatched it this time, I uh, same. It's like it's like upper, it's like upper second tier. I like it better than and, you know, Hail I Caesar wonder... and and Raising Arizona and yeah. Go ahead. Is it possible that between 2008, 2021? We've had life experiences and the world has changed in such a way to make the movie better than it was in 2008. Like maybe what you say about the, the, now that the dysfunctionality of the American government has just been laid bare in a more stark way than it even ever was before, the movie maybe just seems a little bit more like... Oh man, my... My computer is crapping out. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm just going to stop my video. Cutting in a, in a good way? I don't know. I'm still okay. here. I'm still here. Can yeah, you hear I would me? put it. I can hear you. Yes. Okay. I'm going to leave my video off, but. Okay. Keep, Keep talking. We'll see how usable this is later. I would put it in the same tier as... I'd put it in the same tier as... Um, I think... True I think I'd put it in the funny in the top tier that the second tier seems worse by comparison. Hmm. I think I'd put it in the same tier as Barton Fink. I think I'd put it in the same tier. I'd put it above Intolerable Cruelty. I'd put it ab- mm-hmm. ab- definitely above Hudsucker Proxy. 
Yeah. Um, I'd put it in the same tier as Raising Arizona for me. And I know I regard Raising Arizona more highly than you do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's, it it sits about in the same in the same level for me too. Yeah. yeah. What did they um I had to close out my I'm going to look on my phone. I had to close out my Chrome browser because it was messing up. Um Let's see. Let me see here. What so after this is a serious man. Yep. Oh man. One of the uh, just a movie that I feel like is it is not as highly regarded <clears throat> or wi- widely regarded as good as it should be because that movie is amazing. Right. It is. And very few, very few people have seen it. I mean, comparatively, mm-hmm. it's one of their. It's like, it's not their least seen movie of all, but it's the, it's the, it's it the it has the most intersection between quality of how good it is and how few people have seen it. I don't know if I'm expressing myself very well, but it's like, it's yeah. like definitely the best of the seldom seen. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, so good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But yeah, they get they so um yeah, I was just thinking about like the arc, the arc of of what they have made here. Yep. Uh, I mean like it, it is I mean in terms of my own speech and and I can't say certain phrases without referencing <laughs> A serious man. I, like any time we, every single time we open a bottle of wine I, prior to drinking it, we have to say, letting it breathe, so important. Like, we just can't not say it. And then, and just look at that parking lot. I feel like that's, that in, our, that's yeah. in our, that's in our lexicon. Man. Yeah. So they, so they did No Country for Old Men. Super mm-hmm. serious, 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 serious movie. Yeah. Um, then Goofy, they, you know, this movie, Burn After yeah. Eating. Um, like, but they're, they're a really interesting double feature, though, because Now Country for Old Men, for old men is not without its humor. Sure. It's yeah. One of the, Try this. And, and then Burn After Reading is not without its sort of philosophical nihilism that No Country for Old Men has. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then they go to Serious Man, mm-hmm. which, it, which is a hilarious movie, but leaves you like, oh my god, like, the end scene of that movie, just, it, yeah. like, <laughs> it, it might be, It might brutal. be bleaker, it's bleaker than No Country for Old Men in some ways. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because in No Country for Old Men, the protagonist realizes that there's no stopping evil but at least he can re- enjoy his retirement with his wife yeah but in in, Bert, in a, a serious man it's like no you can do everything right and still get shit on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, oh my yeah. god and it's so funny yeah all right well maybe that wraps this one up what do you think i think it wraps it up pretty nicely i think I think Tilda Swinton is very funny in this. I mean, oh, she's yeah. just 
she's one of the most kind of fearless actors that there is because she does not care about coming across as a total weirdo or a total evil person. <laughs> like she she is not afraid to play characters with no redeeming quality. Oh god, yeah. She yeah. Um and and the we we haven't talked at all about um I can't get on the internet or else I'm afraid it's gonna slow down completely. But um the dad from Six Feet Under, what's what's his name? He plays the, oh, yes. the gym manager. Yes, Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins. Oh man, oh, just what a great man. I know, and he's he's the purest character. Um he's like he he means well. Yep. Do you think they're doing one of those morality kills where it's like, okay, if you would have just remained true to yourself, mm. you knew this was a bad idea and yeah. he you know, he betrayed his own pure pureness of character and, and went over to um john malkovich's house and and that's what ultimately did him in right because he dies right he chops him in the head yep yeah he dies oh, god so away. brutal yep oh yep and the 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 shooting the 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 shooting of brad pitt too oh, oh man god. that would that part shocked me i remember the first time i saw the movie that was shocking <laughs> and that was also the I feel like that was also the moment where I knew it was a good movie. Like mm-hmm. I knew that this is a movie where you know you absolutely know that the the people making it are 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 very good. Like that was a silly way of putting it, but when the movie went there I was like, "Oh shit." Yeah, the the thi- one of the things I wrote down was and this may this this idea may not have any legs whatsoever, but one of the things I love about the Coen brothers that I, that maybe happens in other movies, but I don't notice is is how often they go back to a place. Mm. It's it it like their movies are all about like like we see the boat where um uh they're having an affair in John Malkovich's boat, right? Yeah. And then later on in the movie when she kicks him out he's living in that same boat exactly and it's just this it's like they i i I don't know if this is a profound statement or not maybe it's not it's just that all of these things it's all it's always about going back to a place like like in blood simple you're in that dingy um office with dan hidea talking to the to the killer guy yeah. And then they got to go back into that place to get the thing, or, or that's where he dies. Like all of that stuff. Yeah. It, it, for for some reason, it 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 stands out to me more than it does in other movies. Um, maybe because they're more subtle about it, or or maybe other movies beat you over the head about. And now we have to go back, you know. Or and this is just sort of like, no, this is what happens. I don't know. Does that does that hit you in a certain way, or is that just sort of like yeah, an obvious does. thing? It does. I and it, this movie it strikes me more than more than other others of their movies. It's always like she's sitting on the park bench waiting for her Tinder date or whatever. And then she's back on the park bench waiting yep. for another Tinder date. She's yep. back in the movie theater. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, the, the movies, they do a good job of establishing that sort of mental geography for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's something they give you a, 
the movie gives you a feeling of like gears kick clicking into place when you recognize a, a location that characters have been before. It's like mm -hmm. satisfying. As a yeah, viewer. you feel like you're fit. You feel like you're tracking in a way that is like comforting the viewer. I I don't feel like like it seems like something. I'm gonna turn my video off again because it's getting choppy. Um, it's something that I feel like any type of genre movie could utilize. But like for example, Marvel movies. They, they yes. never go back to a place. They're, you're never... What is... I mean, maybe in Iron Man, you get, like, a sense of Tony Stark's house or something. But ne beyond that, never. It's like... Yeah, what no, is, for sure. What is the Avengers compound like? I have no idea. It's like a... Mirrors? I don't know. I can't explain mm -hmm, it. Like, mm -hmm. it's just... It doesn't matter. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I so we'll conclude. So, so what earlier when you said the thing about how the cons will show you a character doing something when you don't fully understand what it is they're doing until later. Oh yeah. It occurred to me that one of the if if you could boil down if you could if you could come up with a dividing line between light entertainment and mm. more serious entertainment. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it could be comedy, it could be drama, it could be any genre. Ask yourself the following question. Does this movie or TV show contain any scene where you have to wonder about a character's thoughts or motivations? Mm. Or mm -hmm. is it not? Right? Like, I, I feel that it's like your, your average disposable romantic comedy does not contain any scenes where you need to wonder about a character's motivations. Everything is on the surface. Mm. And and th but then certain movies and TV shows will will demand of the viewer that they don't know why a person is doing a thing or saying a thing or what it is they're thinking. And I there's like that is a stark dividing line for me between a movie or a TV show that I'm likely to regard as interesting versus one I'm likely re to regard as not interesting. Um, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. And, you know, the Coen brothers do it all the time because, you know, I'm thinking of Llewellyn Moss in, in, in a series, in, um, all the titles of Coen brothers movies are running together in my head. <laughs> in no country for old men. Um, yeah. no country for old serious men. Uh, yeah. he is, you know, he's, he's getting the gallon of water and he's doing all of these things. It's like, what is he doing? And only later do you realize I don't know. Like a lesser a lesser screenwriter would have him say, "I'm filling up some water to bring to a man I fought I saw in the desert a little while ago." Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would be like, "Oh, they fucked up. They they're supposed to tell me what he's doing now." Yeah. 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 I don't know. They, I I always admire I always admire when a screenwriter resists the temptation to tell us something that this the audience should have figured out. Yeah. Uh, related to that to that sort of metric something i a theory i had a, a few years ago and was convinced of was um you could judge how and now this has been disproven lately but you could you could judge how good or how quality a thing was based on the sh the average shot length mm. which you can look up yeah <laughs> but i but now i think i've gone back on that because um it, for whatever reason in the in it's sort of considered to be like 
hyper masculine or, or athletic i've heard it being called athletic filmmaking where mm -hmm. you have like a one shot or something like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so i think it can be done poorly but but that was one i i went down a rabbit hole on and i was like oh i'm i'm going to there was a page i found that listed movies by shot length yes and um it's like oh i i really like when they just leave the camera going not a whole lot of cuts so yes i see that yeah i agree well all right that this has been another episode, another installment of uh, Coen Brothers Movie Podcast, or yes, whatever we call this thing. All right, that's that. Talk to you later. All right, bye. <laughs>